What is happening, folks? Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. If you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, well, hope you've just been having a great time regardless since the last episode. We have a really great episode. We get to talk with Erenya, the CTO of Orb. Orb is providing an all-in-one solution for game developers who want to elevate their project by smoothly transitioning from Web 2 to Web 3. Uh, Not all game devs know how to enact Web 3, and that's where Orb comes in. One of Orb's main pillars is to make the transition as painless as possible. You know, they've done that with their Unity SDK, their Orb 3 API, their platform and marketplace. They have plenty of collaboration opportunities. They really give you an all-in-one place for those who are stuck in Web 2 but want to explore the opportunities of Web 3 to really seamlessly have someone else transition you and take the brunt of the workload. Realistically, this is great for companies who don't know how to do it, uh, people who maybe just want to dip their foot in but still keep their Web 2 applications or games going. I think it's really needed because the future of a lot of these games isn't always going to be coming from a Web 3 perspective. We're going to see plenty of Web 2 games who want to get involved but don't have the expertise or people in place. And you all know that I'm not a developer, I'm not a coder, I'm just a passionate lover of games. So having someone like Arena on the podcast really shines because she can go in-depth about these topics, she understands them deeply. It was a great learning opportunity for me, and I really appreciated her being on and talking about pretty much anything we wanted to discuss and I'll admit a few times on the podcast where I'm just like, I don't know what that means, but I thought it was fascinating. So I hope you get to learn a lot from this episode. Hope you get a lot from Renya. Hope you enjoy learning about Orb and the opportunities it can present a lot of Web2 games and applications. As always, we were thrilled to have Renya on. She is welcome back anytime. My name is Matthew, and this is the Web3 Gamer. Are you tired of the same old rectangular phones with their flat screens and predictable apps? Well, I've got a surprise for you. Introducing the Mystical Orb. Forget touch screens. This is touch sphere technology. The Mystical Orb isn't just a phone. It's a magical experience right in your palm. It's spherical. It's mystical. It's slightly impractical. But who cares when it looks this cool? Hey, I just got a text message. Wait, how do I scroll on this thing? With the mystical orb, scrolling is a thing of the past. Just think about moving the text and it happens. Telepathy text technology lets you read and send messages with the power of your mind. We tried to take a selfie and now I'm seeing visions of the future. Yes, the orb's camera doesn't just capture photos. It captures the essence of time itself. And for those who worry about battery life, fear not. The orb charges by absorbing the moon's rays or simply by leeching a bit of your life force. Don't worry, it's mostly painless. No phone plan necessary. The orb connects directly to the ethernet, the magical network that's always available as long as you believe hard enough. It's not just a phone, it's an adventure. Order now and we'll throw in a complimentary wizard hat and a set of runes for enhanced connectivity. Mystical Orb. Calling is just the beginning. Mystical Orb is a fictional product and should not be used as a replacement for actual communication devices. Telepathy text may not work in areas of low mystical energy. Ethereal glow may attract curious cats, goblins, and neighbors. Mystical Inc. is not responsible for any unintended time travel, accidental spellcasting, or interventional calls that may occur when using the orb. Keep the orb away from dragons as they have shown affinity for shining glowing objects. The included wizard's hat is not certified for magical use and should not be used in actual spellcasting. Always orb responsibly. Hello, hello, friends and gamers. I am Matthew Simone. I am the Web3 Gamer, and I am here with Erenya from Orb, correct? Yes, from Orb. Not O-R-B. It's Orb, right? It's Orb, yeah. Okay. How's it going? How you doing? Uh, doing good. 
a really tough couple of weeks. Lots of development, lots of sleepless nights, but doing good. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. Uh, it's morning where I am at. Where are you calling in from? Is it morning or evening for you? Uh, it is evening. It's uh, currently 4 p.m. because we are located in Athens, Greece. Still sunny, even though it's November. Uh, no sight of winter yet here for some reason. Well, I mean, I kind of feel I just got back from visiting my brother in Denver for the last two-ish weeks. And it snowed probably the first day I was there. And then it was just nice and sunny the rest of the time. The mountains got a little bit of snow, but I was looking forward to having more of a snowy winter. But I guess it didn't hit there yet. So No, no, I don't know. I think we delayed winter for this year. I don't know what is going on. I think everyone was right when they said that the environment is going crazy and it's our fault. Sure. No, I, as somebody who works in the environmental field a lot, oh gosh, that's a whole separate podcast I could have on that. Um, yeah. But yeah, for us here, we're dealing with the weird, it's a colder El Nino year, meaning we have some areas are getting more precipitation and some areas are staying drier. And usually we have hotter El Nino years, if I'm getting that completely correct. I know that's the big thing going on for, there's a big hubbub of people who normally wouldn't get snow that may be getting snow in the south this year and people who normally would get snow in the north who may not be getting snow this year because of all those interesting air currents that i can only barely touch the surface on so well hopefully athens eventually gets a nice winter i think we all like Uh, our nice cold hopefully hopefully uh usually for the past couple of years we got a little bit of a snow which is a surprise especially for athens we usually get it uh, in like the mountains, obviously, but in Athens, it's it's a rare occasion. Uh, but I think winter will be delayed until I want to say February, March, because usually that's when we get really, really cold weather. But yeah, I don't know. Weather is crazy. We've been having like 22s, 24s, and it's uh, the middle of November. And, and just so I'm clear, because obviously you're referring to celsius i'm guessing yeah and 24s. Yes. yes okay I, figured. I don't know what that is in fahrenheit but yeah. you know i should know uh especially with how many science classes i worked in but i i'll be honest in that i don't know and i'll be the ignorant american here with being in my silly fahrenheit <laughs> system but obviously warm if warm for celsius for winter yes yeah too warm <laughs> okay well i mean honestly I I think we've talked a bit about Orb, but I mean, do you want to give us just one, a background on yourself and how you came to be at Orb? And two, what is the overall background on Orb and what are they trying to accomplish in this space? Yeah, absolutely. A bit of background about myself. Um, I have a background in computer science. Um, I mainly, that's basically what I've been studying for a lot of years now. Um, And my first job was in fintech, actually, at a startup. Um, And so I got really involved into banking and economics and and everything that has to do with money. And I realized that I didn't like that. And I had this great opportunity to completely switch fields and go into gaming development, uh, which I know is completely like random switch of um, of business. Uh, so I did that. And then because I was working in game development at a, at a blockchain game, uh, the inception of Warp came to be. 
And so we built this company about a year and a half ago, and we're still actively uh, building it and growing. Um, and to give you a little bit of a, a short description, I would say, of Warp, uh, what we're trying to do is create an ecosystem that makes it really, really easy for game devs that work on Web2 projects, so essentially non-blockchain projects, regular games, to try out if they want or transform their projects into Web3 games. So include features from the blockchain, include Web3 aspects and elements to it. Yeah, and I think that's a uh, a big need because I think you know as well as I there's there's been a lot of bigger players getting involved from web 2 and web 3 and you know I have to imagine they're trying to if not utilizing companies like yours to ramp up into a, a ramp up into an industry they may know nothing about or have no idea of where to start. So I think it's I think it's a very needed um bridge for a lot of people and I think there's a lot of background players that people are taking advantage of in that sense that probably don't, maybe they don't advertise themselves as such. Maybe it's just kind of a built in. Like I have to imagine if somebody's going through immutable, they have people who do exactly that, whether they're advertising that or not, you know? So it's, it's yeah. an interesting, um, I think it's an interesting and very much needed concept. And I guess I'm wondering how was it, you felt that you saw that gap in the industry that made you all want to develop or, or was it something more along the lines of, you wanted to be that 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 bridger that helping hand to get more people onboarded if i'm being honest i think the main reason behind creating warp uh together with the team behind warp was our own experience of developing a web3 game to begin with um and the many different types of problems we encountered um and it wasn't just um, the fact that it was it was difficult to create a Web3 project because you needed to understand the underlying technology. You needed to essentially take a game dev and train him into becoming a Web3 game dev, which that takes time, that takes resources. We had a lot of different uh issues that we that we faced and that's everything like these the, the we took the problems that we were facing and we created solutions and that's how warp came to be it's all the solutions that we wanted to have for many many years now because of our previous experience so to give you some examples um one of the first issues or one of the first things that we wanted and we also had various discussions with other game devs in the same situation that we were at was um, the fact that sometimes with some solutions that exist out there, because there are plenty of solutions that offer this, right? Um, it can be very um, cost, uh, not very cost efficient actually to, to transform your game into Web3. You need to have, let's say an initial capital in order to go ahead and create those starting NFTs, those that initial collection of NFTs. Um, and that for an indie game dev can be a little bit daunting and he it, it can create a huge bottleneck for him and say, okay, so I need to find the, the money to try this out and see if I end up actually liking it and if it makes sense for my project to turn Web3 in the first place. 
Um, and obviously there are solutions out there that are very cost efficient, but we wanted to find something or rather create something that was cost efficient, but also was a layer one solution, meaning it, you maintain the decentralization and it, it you kept it intact. Because obviously you can lower the cost of transactions on blockchain if you move up layers. We didn't want that. Um, so that's that's how we maintain it at Orb, for example. We are a layer one solution. And then, you know, we were watching how everything unfolded, for example, with Ubisoft. And one of the issues that they had, which was a big step for, for a company like Ubisoft to come into Web3, it was a big step. Um, but they received a lot of backlash from people saying what you're doing is not eco-friendly and it backfired big time. And it's a valid point, obviously, because um, the transactional volume when it comes to gaming is, I would say, more than 10 times bigger than any other volume when we're talking projects. Because when you have a game, you have, let's say, 100 concurrent users and you have actual web3 features so for example in game creation of nfts that is 100 transactions if you have 100 concurrent users so we're talking a lot of high transactional volume if your carbon emissions are high that directly affects the environment as we're talking at the beginning so you need to find a solution that doesn't really create backlash for you so you need to find something fast eco-friendly uh, fully decentralized and cost efficient. That is not something easy to come by. And it was one of the first pillars that we truly wanted to narrow down with, with Orb and we wanted to um, create because we had the same issues. So obviously our solution had to fix those. Um, and yeah, we. I, I think the the main issues that we faced were, first of all, those that I mentioned, and then the second one being how easy it was to actually create a Web3 uh, game, um, how much time it took you, and most importantly, we wanted to create something that a game dev, an indie game dev, or just a person on their own creating a sample project, um, they could take this as a solution and use it and test things out before committing to anything. Um, because if you scale that up, if, if it takes just one person days to figure out your solution and see if Web3 is a good fit for them, if you scale that up to huge game development companies, you're talking about wasting a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of cost trying something that you're not sure if you're going to end up using. And we're talking about custom implementations, big projects. So these are mainly um, some of the issues that we try to fix with or obviously we we add more here and there, you know, add more features of, of problems that we are still encountering. Uh, but I would say these are the main. Well, and you said you said a, you said a lot of great stuff in there uh, to address a few things. One, um, I will say it was interesting that it was almost you did the trial by fire yourselves whether whether intentionally or unintentionally um and found the issues and then what's amazing is most people would just go well next time we do development we'll just we'll know the pain points right and we'll have the right people to outsource so we'll have the right ways to accomplish it but instead 
I think it's more admirable that you all stopped and were like, well, if if we're having such an issue finding a solution to this, we obviously aren't the only people. And so finding a solution and then being able to give it to the masses, I think is is a great thing. Two, with everything you were saying about um, your layer one solution, you know, you want to keep it eco-friendly, you want to keep it decentralized. Um, I think a lot of times when people ramp up into development of games, they're always giving or taking one of those things. They're going, well, I need to uh, worry about having low transaction fees, so I'll sacrifice sustainability or, well, I need to worry about, you know, it doesn't need to be as decentralized. I need it to be able to be uh, maybe a little more centralized because the way I'm trying to do things is going to help me with my transaction fees and being able to get people more onboarded. And so I think it's interesting how most of the time I see people kind of have to sacrifice one of those three things. So very few people or very few companies strictly go, well, we don't want to sacrifice any of those. We know it's the harder route. We know it's the that's the route that is not as easy to get people on board to ramp up faster, all those things. So I, I think that's a really good place to be. And, um, you know, funny enough, I think you kind of rolled into questions two and three for us where you answered a lot of the unique challenges and limitations that game developers face and how you all are trying to address those. But I didn't know if there was any specific ones we, we had missed that you were talking about that you also felt you are trying to, you know, address. Um, I would say another thing that we actively like ran into um, was the the issue we have with publishing companies. Um, so, for example, to give you an example, we were in discussions with PlayStation a couple of years ago um, to take the Six Dragons as a Web three game into PlayStation. Um, and one of the issues that they had, which was very logical back then, and I, I fully understand it, is that the current revenue model that these companies have, and it's not just Sony, it's Ubisoft, it's, it's all of the major big, big, you know, publishing companies that have all these game titles. The main issue that they currently have is that their current revenue model does not work when it comes to Web3. What do you have right now is you have your hub, you have, for example, your PlayStation store, you pay for a game. And then if you want to get a skin, if you want to get a collectible, if you want to get anything, you pay for it. Uh, Ubisoft gets their commission and that's it. You have it in this hub. Um, when you create NFTs on a marketplace, even if you are Ubisoft hitting that create NFT button at the end of the day, the first person that buys it from you Yes, you're getting your commission. But apart from that, that NFT within its life cycle will go on and will get bought hundreds, if not thousands of times within its life cycle, because that's the way that gaming works. If I have an NFT of a weapon and someone else wants it because it just makes sense for them to use it in the game and I can make a profit from it, I'm going to sell it to you. But within that selling, Ubisoft gets nothing or the publisher gets nothing from that. And obviously, you can't have that because they're, they're losing money. They're losing a lot of money. So the easiest way that we can approach this is what we call the publisher's fee. So what we do at Orb is at the time of the creation, so I'm talking about when the when you hit the smart contract, when you create the contract for the actual token, we instill two types of fees, the creator's fee and the publisher's fee. Um, and you don't have to use 
either of them. Uh, you can use one of them. You can use neither of them. But if you're a publisher like Ubisoft, when you create your NFTs, you can add this publisher's fee and let's say it's 20%. So what happens is the NFT gets created. And then after every single time this NFT gets sold, Ubisoft will still be taking 20% from that revenue, from that selling. So what this means is you don't really have any issues when it comes to the revenue model anymore because Ubisoft gets paid every single time or your publisher gets paid. And it's also fully transparent because everything is written in that smart contract. You cannot change it, obviously, and it is public information from that point on. So even if the player, for some reason, does not want to get an NFT that has a publisher's fee or a creator's fee, he knows that it's fully transparent. And as a plus, maybe at some point publishers might think, hey, I have this amazing development team that is working on this game. Apart from me, as a publisher getting paid, I can also reward my team and add that creator's fee. And so I get 20% and they get X percent for each sale because they have created this game at the end of the day. So it's very flexible in, the, in terms of how you can use it. And it does solve the issue of, you know, how how do these big players get paid when it comes to Web3? Sure. And I'm guessing when you were probably talking to them, that was before all the royalty fees had kind of been instituted into a lot of those marketplaces, which obviously once that blew up, people love that idea because you could sell your original NFT for $5, get your 2 to 10%, whatever you said. And then if it sells for 10000 later on, the original artist is still getting their chunk of the, you know, of everything. So <clears throat> I can totally understand that exact reason of them being hesitant because it was once it's initially sold, they're like, well, it's one and done. What's the point? Even worse, it's almost like the collectibles marketplace, um, which can go all the way back to games, not even just like trading cards and physical collectibles of people sell something on the initial market and then it goes up in value and they're like, well, would have been nice to know. We would have obviously sold it for much more if we knew it was going to go up in value. Um, so I, I totally understand that. I think that's a very valuable thing to have in place. And also, obviously, the stipulation that um, I think initially the royalty fee was a very rare thing on marketplaces. I mean, it was only once people saw how, like, basically how well it did for the artists that, like, it basically became like a standard across the industry. And I think there's even exactly. still marketplaces that don't necessarily let you go above uh 5%. Most of them try to keep it in the 2 to 5% range, but like wouldn't like I've seen some where it's um it's nonprofits and obviously they're like we're already selling the NFT for so cheap, we want 10% royalty because it's literally all going towards like a charity organization. So they're like we're trying to maximize profits not for us for the charity obviously. Yeah. Um yeah. so in terms of that it does make sense. Um but yeah, no, I mean I I think that's that is a very valid um issue that is pretty wide in the industry that i think also too like people ramping up from web 2 to web 3 maybe just don't understand beyond the initial royalty they're just like oh so i get a chunk every time and you're like well it can can be a lot more than that as you said especially yeah. if it comes related to more than just a token and so i mean that also lets us bleed into our third question which you did cover a lot of things that inspired the creation of you know the orb platform and um, how it's like, you know, kind of how you simplify NFT creation and uh, the management process of developers. But I know from our conversations, there was a little more you had talked about than what you just talked about, obviously. And I wondered if you want to touch on any specifics. 
Yeah. So specifically about the marketplace, um, obviously, it would have been very easy for us to not add that development process of creating a whole marketplace for our solution. Um, but the thing is, and we know this from from the players of our game, um, it was there was a huge lack, and there is still a huge lack of a marketplace specifically developed for game devs and gamers. Uh, and the reason why I'm saying this is because a very real example that we had usually on Discord, where we have all of our players, is I am looking for this specific weapon with this specific attributes. And the user journey that you usually have to take within um, the standard marketplaces that multiple chains have is you have to go, you have to select the collection that you know these NFTs are under, and then you have to look through all the NFTs until you find what you're looking for, or perhaps you know the name. But it can be very, um, let's say, time-consuming if you're looking for something very specific, especially in gaming, if you want it like right now, if you need it right now, it can be very time-consuming. So um, something, and again, what I'm saying is not like we reinvented the wheel. It was very simple things that people needed, but for some reason, there was a lack of them in the market. So what we did is the, entire, uh, the entirety of the platform is created in a very gamified way um, from what type of information we put out to how you can search for NFTs. So if you if you have a game and your NFTs are specifically cars, let's say, we have a search that allows you to go. Okay, I want a, the NFT. Um, I want it to be this brand of a car. I want it to have these specs, uh, and so you can directly find it, uh, which is not again a huge like eureka idea, but it it helps gamers become very. Uh, become it helps the marketplaces become very useful to to gamers. Then a couple of things that strictly apply to game devs and projects, but also gamers are visibility and community building and engagement. And the way we were trying to do this is we have developed two specific pages, one for the projects of the platform. So this is the games themselves and one for every single user. So that's the, the gamer. In terms of the project, uh, we call this page the verified game profile. And what it is is a unique profile for every single game. It has information about what the game is about. It has all their social media, the team developing behind it, all the NFTs, all the collections, the news. It's just the, the central place that you can find all the information you might need for a project. And this is very important, especially to these indie game devs that are just starting out and need this visibility in a marketplace that can have a lot of different projects. And a lot of these projects already have a lot of uh, like a big player base. And then on the other hand, you have the gamer's identity, which is a profile that you can create as soon as you log in the platform, as soon as you sync your wallet in the platform. And what it does is it's a truly gamey feature in which you add, I would say the best way to describe it is like a, a, a social media profile page for you, but specifically for gaming. So you have in-game achievements, 
all your collectibles, your ranks in terms of how many projects you're part of, how many collectibles you own, how many auctions you took part in, um, information about your social media. We want to add in there, you know, whenever you go on Twitch, we want to add a notification on your profile so that it lets everyone know that, hey, I'm live on Twitch playing this game from your platform. Um, it's just a central place for you to promote yourself in case you're doing this either recreationally, but also professionally. And it helps a lot in community building because you get a lot of, you know, gamers looking into other people's profiles, seeing their achievements, seeing their perks. Um, and it creates a wonderful community. And it's, it's really nice because for the first time you have people really engaging in the marketplace itself, apart from buying and selling and taking part in auctions. You, they are actually engaging with each other and creating communities around these games and around the gamers themselves. Well, I really love the idea of the the like um, the main page for the game with the development team and all that because I feel like my default when I'm trying to find out about games and find out about teams involved is um, like literally going to Twitter and just seeing somebody's little bio and they're like currently working on so-and-so. And I'm like, oh, I love that game. And I'm like, well, I'm going to follow this person because I really like seeing the i mean like when you get to follow and see like what the developers talk about and post i think it humanizes game development as a whole a lot more um versus when you kind of have somebody who's like director of game development at sony you're like yeah. that's cool but like that's you're kind of so detached from the process sometimes if you're making so many executive decisions like i really or especially games in the past i was really into where you'll find developers who they're like I don't work for them anymore, but I developed that game maybe from like when you were younger, or like a few years ago. And you're like, that's really cool. I wonder what they're working on now. So it's a cool way to stay up to date, in my opinion, of what developers are working on, how they're doing. And I've seen a lot of developers from Web 2 games that I really liked. Who That's how I've discovered them is I had no idea they transitioned into making a Web 3 game. And I was like, oh, I had no idea that's where they were at now. So it's funny to see it come full circle for some people. But I really like that idea because that's something where if I really like a particular game, it simplifies the process for me as uh, a user or player of the game to find these developers and keep up to date with them in the event you know they they were just working on that project and then they go to another project I'm like well i really like the work they were doing on this and i want to see what they continue to do down the line so i really like that idea um as a yeah. whole and i would i would love to see that a lot more period just on social media yeah no it, and it helps them in various ways for example you know you never know what type of person might look into the team behind your project and how they might help you. You might find new developers, you might find investors that maybe truly enjoy your game and want to invest in your team. You might find uh, social media creators that want to stream your game and help you increase your player base. There's so Visibility helps a lot, especially when you're starting as a very small team, but even if you are very big, it, it always helps. And uh, as you said, there's a lack right now. The only place you can truly find information about games is, is Twitter or Discord, you know, and you kind of have to, to look into it. And for the gamer as well, if I'm a Web2 gamer, I have no idea what titles I can play or what titles I can get involved in, what an NFT is, what kind of collections are out there for me. Um, I think a, an all-in-one solution that allows you to go to the marketplace and see what projects there are, uh, what these projects are about. Is it an RPG game? Is it a simulation game? Is it an action game? Like 
you need a central place where you can have it all. Uh, so it makes it easier for someone that doesn't know anything about it to get introduced to it in the first place. Yes, I definitely agree with that. Well, and so you've talked about a good amount of issues you your orb is trying to address and um, the solutions you're creating. And I believe one of those solutions is the the orb API that's supposed to facilitate mm -hmm. the integration of Web3 features into games. Um you want to elaborate on that i know too because a, a big thing with apis for some people is the complexity and cost factors is probably two main things that come to mind yes um yes and we know this firsthand so the the orb 3 api um we designed it in a way that someone that doesn't know about api integration and especially about web3 can use it and understand it in a matter of hours so it takes away the complexity of interacting with smart contracts. It takes away the complexity of very techy terminology. Um, we try to make it as simple as possible for you to interact with it. Um, and I think one of the most important things that we have designed and took us a lot of time, a lot of time to develop and design and create was the documentation behind it. And I know this is kind of like a like a given, like, oh, yeah, Captain Obvious, you made documentation. Trust me when I say one of the biggest issues that game devs have is that they want to try out things, but there's a lack of documentation that is understandable and doesn't just apply to people that know about APIs or know about smart contracts or know about Web3. What we're trying to do is take a student that is studying game dev um, and wants to try out Web3 and make him understand in a couple of hours, this is how you can create an NFT in your game live. So we tried to create this to get into the technicalities. We tried to create this mutations and queries, which are the way that you know GraphQL APIs work essentially. Um, in a way that is very user-friendly and that requires minimum input from the user when they try to integrate it into their implementation. So if, for example, you want to create an item, create a collectible in your game, you need the minimum inputs. We require from you the minimum inputs, which is give us the name of the NFT you want to create, the metadata file, which if you cannot provide it in an IPFS file, for example, or a JSON file, we can take care of that as well. And we will take care of the rest of it. Just call that mutation and the NFT will be created and you will be able to parse the metadata as well and then see it in game. Um, we it, It's very flexible. It's very granular, granular as well. You know, It allows people to extract as many or as much information as they want. Uh, from the games, from the collections, the tokens, the users. Um, and honestly, the best way to describe it is it's built from the experience of us interacting with various APIs when it comes to Web3. So we took all of the, all the issues that we had, all the frustrations that we had oftentimes, and we try to make it as easy as possible so that a 10-year-old can literally understand it, which I know sounds crazy. But that was our end goal. 
No, I think that's a good end goal. I mean, as somebody <clears throat> who has a very basic knowledge of APIs, and the only reason I have any knowledge of it is from working on previous projects where we'd be doing partnerships and somebody would be like, so what's your API? And I was like, I don't know what that is. And then I have to go to the dev team and be like, "What? what's an API? What do we do? What do we need? And then sometimes there's people on the dev team who understand how to explain it to a non-developer. And other times they're like, just watch this like five minute YouTube video of like, what is an API? Cause that'll help. Cause you're not gonna, it's like, that's basically that's for you. Cause I'm not a developer and I, I never will be. I've always been business development, partnerships, marketing, things of that nature. So I'm, I'm on the more human side of things, but I think all that stuff is fascinating. So I think that's actually a really good way to approach it because that makes me think about someone like me at that time where maybe I'm coming in and I'm like, I want to, I want to develop a game, but I don't know any of these things. And so being able to have like this kind of step-by-step -step guide or basic understanding of it to help onboard and ramp me up, I think is exactly what's needed for, I just think of the amount of people I meet who are like, oh, I've always wanted to develop my own indie game, but they shut themselves down because they're like, there's so much to understand in terms of like tech, I'm never going to get it or like, I can't afford to hire people to do it. So I think that's a really good gap to bridge for people. And that's a good way to look at it and try to bring people on is make it as simple as a 10 year old. Because I feel like everyone I know who was a developer also started when they were 10 years old and then basically oh, yeah. has, has been developing for the last like 10 to 15 years. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I remember the first time that I had to interact with an API, I was a student and I had no idea what an API was. And there's no shame in, you know, being open about that. You don't, you don't, you obviously start at some point. Oh, everyone has to start at some point and you cannot know everything from day one. I wish we had tools like ChatGPT back when I was studying because that would have made my life easier in terms of understanding things. But we didn't have that. We had to understand everything our own way. We needed to research what an API was. So, um, and even now, there are a lot of technologies that are very complex and that take time from my day-to-day, -day, you know, things that I have to do for me to understand them and actually be able to apply them to our projects. So we, we're trying to make this as, as simple as possible. And, you know, apart from making this API, we've also um, created a bunch of other solutions that go hand in hand with the API, like the Unity Orb demo, the Unity uh, Orb SDKs, which are two tools that I think will be the number one the first stop for game devs to truly try or about because it, it they're built in a way that it's very user friendly and even if you don't want to um, bother with APIs you don't have to we have you covered in other ways uh, in for example Unity libraries and SDKs that you can use so yeah. Well, so then that's great because that's literally what I was about to ask. Ness, I was going to ask you to talk about Unity Orb. And honestly, let's do that toolful. One, for people who don't know what an S, we can talk about Unity Orb and then talk about the Unity Orb SDKs. And one thing I'll also mm -hmm. ask is people who don't know what an SDK is, just briefly, you can give like a little bit yeah. of that. Um, so in terms of the SDK that we are developing, I would say the, the simplest way to explain it is it is a lot of functions and classes in Unity from like literal scripts that you can use within your project and copy paste chunks of code, which we have created and they take the whole connecting to our API and simplify it for you. And you just have to interact with simple functions that you're used to when creating projects in Unity. 
So under the hood, everything that happens in terms of integrating APIs and connecting to GraphQL endpoints and all that stuff, we have it covered under the scenes. And what you are saying from our SDKs is a couple of scripts that have all the functionalities of Web3 that this API is bringing in very nicely rubbed up into functions. So to give you a very simple example, you have this function of create a collectible, create an NFT, and you are going to be able to interact with that function, input the parameters one by one. And then once you call that, that is going to connect to the API and the API is going to get uh, take uh, the rest take care of the rest and the NFT is going to be creating. So I think that's the simplest way to, to explain an SDK to someone that doesn't know. Uh, usually uh, Unity SDKs are available in the Unity Asset Store, which is where we're going to also uh, have them available. They're going to be free to download. And the reason why I'm using Pluro is because we're going to have two versions of them. We're going to have a simple SDK and an advanced SDK. The simple SDK, I would say, would be the first step for someone that wants to try or about because uh, it is created for very simple, as the name suggests, uh, implementations and project. Usually like a client-side simple project uh, or like a demo project that you want to create. The advanced SDK is going to be more for projects that are more complex and need to take care of security, server-side implementations. Um, so it's going to have the same features, but a more complex implementation in case your game is a little bit bigger uh, and it needs uh, some custom uh, integrations. Now, what I find really important to mention is, and we have a video on our YouTube channel about that. Um, we have created this demo project. It's literally like a mini game, I would say, um, called the Unity Orb Demo, in which it's a simple Unity project. We ourselves are using the Unity Orb SDK, and everyone is going to be able to freely download that as well. And it features this robot called Orbi. And what it does is it goes through the process of all the API interactions that you can have with the, with the Orb3 API. So you have this robot, you go up to little orbs, little purple orbs. We made it very brand, branded with Orb. Uh, and it takes you through the process of, okay, how do I connect my wallet? And what is a wallet? What do I have to download to act as a developer in the Orb platform? And once you have done that, it goes, okay, now you can create a collection and here's what a collection is. And as soon as you have created your collection, you can actually create your first NFT and here's how you can do that. Um, so it is a very step-by-step -step tutorial, I guess, uh, that everyone can download and understand everything that they can later apply to their projects and games. Um, yeah, so that is what we've tried to design. It's these three projects, I would say, uh, the Unity SDKs and the Unity Orb demo, and we're gonna have all of those free to download and use for everyone. Well, that that's amazing that they're gonna be free to download. Um, again, as someone who knows nothing of development, I think I caught everything you were saying. I think I understand it, but I, I definitely like the uh, uh, the demo 
Um, and I think that's a good way of getting people into just being able to have like an interactive way of any questions you have to really understanding that kind of ramp up. Um, I think also too, that we had discussed the features of the, the NFT infusion in orb. And I was wondering if you mm -hmm. want to talk about what that is, what makes it unique for all and how it is like proposed to enhance the value and the utility of NFTs for the game developers. Yeah, so the feature of uh, Orb Infusion came to us when we were discussing um, how we can add more value to a specific NFT to actually any NFT. Um, so to describe the feature itself, what Orb Infusion is, is when you're creating an NFT in the Orb platform, a collectible, uh, you can choose whether you want to infuse it or let's say back it with orb tokens. And what this means is that you create the NFT, but you also, let's say, attach to it a certain amount of orb tokens that you own. And that amount is completely up to the creator to decide. And then as soon as you create that NFT, the orb tokens will follow that NFT throughout its entire life cycle until the point that you decide or someone decides to burn it, in which case the orb tokens will go back to that, to the owner of the NFT at that point. Um, the reason why we did that is actually there's two reasons behind it. The first one is um, the utility of the orb, to orb token itself. So the orb token will act as a governance vote for the orb platform. And you can take part in the governance of, of the Orb ecosystem by either owning Orb tokens or by owning Orb infused NFTs. So the reason why that's important is because we want the governance to work in a way that not only game devs, but actually gamers can take part in the governance process because these are the people that are act actively using it and these are the people that, at the end of the day, everything that we have developed and everything we will continue to develop, uh, they all of these applies to them at the end of the day. So we want them to be the first people that have a say in the future of the products that will roll out or how the marketplace will look or which, pro uh, which project on board the platform, actually. So it's a nice way to let a gamer take part in the governance just by owning NFTs, which is the, the minimum that they can do, for example, if they play a Web3 game. The other reason why we thought the Orban Fusion is a very good feature is because oftentimes we see a lot of projects that for some reason, unfortunate reason, they don't do well. And you have a lot of players having these NFTs and they suddenly lose value and they're like, oh, well, here goes. I mean, it's it's the entirety of crypto, but especially with games, um, you know, if a, if a game doesn't do well, um, because of the nature of gaming, you might have multiple NFTs and you're like, okay, what do I do with them now? Um, if they're orb infused, at, the, at least you can burn them and get um, your orb tokens back. So you still have, you're still holding some value. Um, so this is this is the way the orb infusion works, and I think it it helps in many ways. It I think for the most part it adds a lot of utility to the token itself, to the orb token. 
It definitely does. So twofold question of that. One is about governance. One is about the token. So is it, we'll start with the token first. So is it the initial creator infuses them with the orb token and then it's whoever owns it and decides to burn it receives the tokens. It doesn't go back to the original creator. Exactly. Yes. Okay, uh, the creator will decide. Um, so the game dev in that case, yes. in our case, um, they will decide that, okay, I want to create this NFT and back it with or infuse it uh, with 10 orb tokens. And it gives it a big incentive for this NFT to actually um, get sold or get mm -hmm. traded a lot because as a gamer, I mean, the way that I'm thinking at least is I, I do want to have NFTs backed by orb tokens because A, I want to take part in governance and B, it, it adds value. It, it acts as a security blanket almost um, when it comes to that NFT. No, definitely. And that that is why I really like the concept because <laughs> as somebody who's bought NFTs in the past for games that I just think about it too in the sense of, uh, you know, as we all are with games, like sometimes you just, it, there's nothing wrong with the game. It's not not doing well. You just lose interest. And so you're like, well, I would like to sell or be done with these NFTs if I could, but Sometimes that's easier said than done. And having the option of going, well, I could wait, put on the marketplace, maybe it'll sell, or I could just burn it, be done with it, and have the orb tokens. I think it's a really nice option for owners um, as a whole. And I think, like you said, I think it's a good security blanket. But then what I wanted to ask about the governance is, so is the governance for your the orb ecosystem as a whole, or does it relate specifically to like the game developers' ecosystems? Or can it be both? Uh, it will be both. And the way that we are thinking right now, the vision that we have for the governance of ORB is to create a governance system that can not only decide which projects onboard the platform and what type of games people want to be part of the ORB ecosystem, but also the future of the ecosystem itself. So development features that they want to add to the ecosystem. Um, Everything, everything from changes to things that they don't like and they want to change, things that they want to add, collaborations that they want to see, um, PFP projects that they want to add into the platform through our collaboration feature, like plenty of things. That's how we want to, um, that's the vision that we have for the governance and we hope we achieve this. And I think we're going to achieve this because gamers and game devs, um, their nature is to be very involved and to be very active in the communities that they build. So I hope that also um, adds in the in the Orb ecosystem as well, and they act the same way there as well. Well, yeah, and so you kind of you touched a bit there on collaborations, but so what? Other than obviously the governance model is one way you're planning to offer and foster it, but. Are there other ways you're planning to offer and foster, you know, collaboration and not just among game developers, but among projects, among artists? And what what is the impact you're hoping that will have on the gaming ecosystem as a whole? Absolutely. So we have this feature called the collaboration feature that I mentioned. And what this collaboration feature is, and again, I wanted to I want to put it as simply as possible, is so on one, on one hand, we have the projects of Warp, which by nature are games. And then within Web3, you have these projects called PFP projects, or you have your favorite artists that create incredible NFTs of digital artwork, essentially. 
And for the longest time, you know, there's been a lot of discussion of maybe you could possibly fuse these two worlds together. So gaming and artists or gaming and other types of NFTs uh, in Web3. The way we found uh, to do this is through the collaboration feature. So to give you a real example, the Six Dragons has agreed to collaborate with Otez. Six Dragons and Otez are going to be on the org platform. You're going to be able to see these NFTs on the org platform. Now, how does this impact players and why should they care in the first place? So if you're a gamer and you're part of the Six Dragons ecosystem and you own some of these NFTs of the Six Dragons, you can benefit in-game through in-game perks that we, the development team of the Six Dragons, will decide what they are. If you also own NFTs from Otez or any other of the projects that we're going to be collaborating with. So for the first time ever, holding these NFTs will give you added value in other projects. Um, I think it's a great way to bring in people who are on one hand collectors of these NFTs, but also make gamers want to try out and, for example, buy some of these NFTs, specifically because they want to gain in-game perks at their favorite game. So this is how um, the collaboration feature will work in Orb. And I think it's, um, I think it will be something that people are going to like. No, I, I definitely think so too. And it's, it's, I know Six Dragons is, has been a big uh, case study for y'all period. Um, and honestly, I'm curious, we can, we'll jump around a bit, but you know, with that case study, I'm wondering what lessons you learned and what from that case study, the, uh, the features being applied to the orb, uh, or marketplace and any of its future development from that. I think for the most part, um, what we've learned from the six dragons is trying to make things as simplified and as frictionless for people that do not know and do not really require to know web three to begin with. They're just game devs. Um, another thing that we really want to also foster a lot through, through the projects that onboard the platform, but also through content creation as well, is adding Web3 to your projects in a way that adds value to it. And not just, you know, introducing NFTs to your project, because sometimes that will not truly add value, especially when it comes to gaming. So for example, in the Six Dragons, we have features that makes sense for the players to try Web3 out and, and download a wallet and own NFTs. For example, if you want to create a weapon that you have, a drop that you have, um, if you want to create a an NFT from it, we have this whole mechanism called blockchain crafting. And essentially, at that point that you're crafting your your asset, your in-game asset, you can choose to directly um, create an NFT from it and have it in that format. And you can equip it still in-game. You can use it in-game and it has added perks. Like it doesn't, it never breaks. The durability is endless. Um, so for us, it makes sense that we have added these features and we want to also promote that in, in the platform. Obviously, we're not going to, you know, start giving advice on how you can use it because, for every single project, it's it's up to them how they want to use Web3. But I think 
having projects in the platform that have added Web3 in a way that adds value is very important and will allow Web2 game devs to really, really think about and really give it a try. Um, also, obviously, all these features that I mentioned so far, you know, uh, being able to search your NFTs right away, um, you know, having smart searches, for example, having a dedicated page for the project, having achievements um, visible for all the gamers through their gamers identity page. These are all features that we know players want and currently they don't have it. And we wanted to bring bring them to them um, through the org platform. Yeah, no, I, I'd say that's, that's a fair and valid explanation. And um, it's funny because I know that there's, you know, you have some competitors in the sense of um, you have, uh, we have Engine, which is kind of like, kind of an all-in-one Web3 onboarding, but like Sequence and Wax.io kind of, their focus is a bit more on gaming. And so I, I know some people would like to think of those as competition, but I think y'all are very much all, I kind of think of it as collaboration in the sense already built in because I think, you know, they're focusing on different areas as than what you're focusing on. But I think the main goal is always the same of trying to help ease the onboarding process for people. And so I don't really want to say that, you know, that any one of y'all is making any sort of weak areas or identifications. I think it's just everybody's trying to get get the the onboarding process as simplified as it can for people who don't understand it. But um, you know, with that, I know with y'all's token, I wasn't I wanted to ask, is the token is not live yet, correct? Yes, the token is on live yet. Um, we have the entirety of our development roadmap, which includes, you know, when the token will be live. We have it all um, over our social, but also our website. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, as for the moment, um, currently we don't, as we speak, like we don't have anything live, but very soonish, I would say Q1 of 2024, we're going to have the API live for the devs to try. Um, and soon after that, the platform will follow. Well, so with the, that's great for the platform and the API, but with the tokens, so obviously you started in fintech, so you know how complicated tokenomics as a whole just is in general. And so I'm curious, like, what is the, the model that Orb has to ensure like a fair and sustainable token flow, making sure the balancing the interests of the developers, the players, and obviously any investors? So as soon as the platform goes live um, and the token obviously goes live, we will also publish our white paper in which we have uh, spent a lot of time writing down the tokenomics because, as you said, it can be a complicated matter. And we wanted to introduce tokenomics that makes sense for gaming specifically because this is the sector that we're in and we're included in. Um, so everything will be written down there. We have a very fair distribution when it comes to, you know, development, um, people, projects that are on board, like early adopters, uh, marketing efforts. But for the most part, uh, people will see that everything that we have done and all of our efforts at the end of the day, focus on the actual development team and the development of the project, because, I think the the biggest lesson that I've learned is uh, if you don't have a robust 
project and product that works. Whatever you do when it comes to marketing, business dev, everything, content creation, you will not succeed. Um, and that's very hard to say, to say, but at the end of the day, game devs need something that is going to work. And if you're giving them something that you're saying, you know, is going to create a new revenue stream for you and you have issues with the API, you have issues with the marketplace, you have features that are not being rolled out yet. You have all sorts of development issues. It just creates very bad um, a very bad name for you at the end of the day. So people will see in the white paper as well and everything that we'll post, the number one thing that we're focusing is development. If we don't have that down, we don't want to push something out just because it's it's time for us to go live. And, you know, it's it, we're very focused on that. We want to make something as robust as possible. So... Yeah, tokenomics are going to be there and um, we try to make it as fair for everyone involved as possible. Well, and that makes sense. Like, I think you all are very much, um, I don't want to say like developer bias. I think it's more so you just understand that if if the developers are well supported and they're onboarding and they have good intentions and everything goes well, like the trickle down effect truly benefits everyone involved. Um, so I totally understand that model and and the focus on the developers as as a as a oh just a big focus period. Um, and then I'm also I could see how some of your developers would be curious too, um, because obviously you know the gamers and the developers are both going to be NFT holders. Like, what are the security measures that Orb Infusion is going to offer to NFT holders? And do you think it's any different or more important than any of the uh, the any of the security measures currently out there, or different? Um, when it comes to NFT infusion specifically, I don't think people, um, there's like any type of security issues because everything is installed on the smart contract upon the creation of the NFT. So everything is, um, it can never be changed once it's created and everything is fully transparent. In terms of security in general, when it comes to the Orb ecosystem, we've made it in a way in which the first of all every single transaction that comes through has to get accepted either by the player or the developer so you have to manually accept if you want to create an nft if you're a developer you have to manually accept if you want to send orb tokens or an nft to the game dev um so everything in terms of security follows the the standards of the web3 industry i would say um and the only thing, the only, let's say, access, which is not really access, it's a very wrong word to use, uh, that we have when it comes to gaming is being able to read through someone's wallet, which, again, it's public information. And to explain that is, for example, when a player logs into the Six Dragons, what we do is we take their wallet address and we scan through their list of NFTs. So in case we find that they own an NFT from the Six Dragons, we're able to use it and show it in game. That doesn't have any reading access. Let's say you cannot um, do anything to the other person's wallet. You can just read the information that is readily available if you just input their wallet into any marketplace or um, an explorer. Um, so in terms of security, uh, 
we've been able to, you know, minimize any type of, let's say, intrusion that the game dev could possibly have in the player's wallet. Um, yeah, and everything is just very secure because it requires the other person to actually have their, their wallet at hand to accept any incoming transactions. Well, yeah, sure. And that, that makes total sense. And I agree with you about um, all the public. So, I mean, honestly, if somebody's played around with Chain Explorer so much, you know, it's always fun and interesting to see where things are going and or, or where they're coming from, as we all know. I think we've all gotten the uh, the NFT drops where it's like, claim your 50,000 polygon right now. And you're like, this is coming from a very suspicious address. But you're right. It's all yeah. public information, obviously. Um, well, and so I guess another question that I, I did not think to ask at this point is, what chain is um, the Orb token planning to be on? Or do you not have that information? You're not allowed to share it. Uh, no, we do. Um, right now, we're building everything on Tezos because the technology that Tezos offers, and you know, I started this conversation saying we value being a layer one decentralized solution. Um, and right now, Tezos can offer this, uh, can offer us that 100%. Um, and so we're benefiting from everything that Tezos is bringing from fast transactions, eco-friendliness, um, everything, absolutely everything. And we truly believe that it, it currently can support the scalability that we want or to have in a couple of uh, months, in a couple of years, and as soon as we go public. But it is also a chain that it is very flexible for us to, if we decide to go multi-chain, we can very easily roll up our application and take it to another chain. We are open to um, explore other chains, but at the moment, what makes sense for us and what made sense for us a year and a half ago when we were conceptualizing Orb was Tezos for sure. Yeah, and I, I think it's always good to be, um, you know, I think everybody has their initial chain they start with, and then as time goes on, you know, I think the chains are going to develop to the point where you people become chain agnostic, and it's almost no different than when any game flashes up, you know, we all know they're using um, Unity or Unreal Engine pretty much. It exactly. flashes between, and you're just like, yep, there you go, like, it's there. So I think it'll be that way, interestingly enough, to see with the chains going forward. But um, no, that that makes sense. Um, I think Tezos is a good platform. I have nothing bad to say about Tezos. Um, for all I've used it and experienced with it. And I think that's a great place for everything Orb is trying to accomplish as a layer one solution. Um, are there any other ways that Orb plans to maintain decentralization while trying while still while offering, you know, your comprehensive suite of services and solutions? Um, I would say apart from the governance and the underlying technology, so Tezos that we're using, I think these are the main pillars in which we're trying to achieve decentralization. Uh, governance, obviously, for giving the people the right um, to vote for what they want to use and being on a chain which allows us to be fully decentralized while being, you know, having all the benefits that we mentioned. I think these are the two um main ways in which we're trying to maintain decentralization yeah and i would say that makes from everything we've talked about that's from par for the course and i guess is there is there any just while we're on the topic is there any other ways you think orb is responding to the growing demand for data privacy and the escalation of digital art and gamification in web3 um i think the 
best way to address this is we're what we're trying to do is let people know that for the first time ever, not just by using us, by Web3 gaming in general, um, you can actually own what you're using in games. You can own it, benefit from it, and even gain money from it. Um, and that's very important, uh, especially when it comes to Web3 gaming, because hardcore gamers, let's say, know that they would spend a lot of, a lot of money if they really love a project and they really want to spend it on skins and collectibles and everything. But at the end of the day, when you turn off your console, when you turn off your computer, you don't know any of that. Um, and I, I think Web3 now more than ever allows gamers to, for the first time, say, yeah, I paid for this and I actually own it and it's in my wallet. And not only that, it's not just the PNG that I have in a wallet. I can actually use it in game. It, it The utility never left the equation. I can still use it in game the same way that I could use it when it was just a digital asset somewhere. Uh, but now if I want to sell it down the line and I want to earn a profit, I can actually do that. Before, I couldn't really do that. Um, so I think this is the, the best way that we're trying to to focus on um, and promote this uh, ownership of digital assets. I think it's very important uh, more than ever now with Web3 Gaming. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Well, so, and then is is Orb's business model for sustainability, you know, to keep the platform up and running, is that particularly, is the revenue mainly going to be generated through NFT sales and marketplace fees? Uh, yes. The business model that we're going to be um, introducing as soon as we launch is the standard marketplace fee that all of the marketplace right now have, which is a, a fee that the platform gets with each sale of uh, an NFT. And I know a lot of people will say, is that sustainable enough for what we're we trying to do and how much you want to scale? But absolutely, I would say yes, because... Again, the transactional volume when it comes to gaming is tremendously much like it's much more higher than when it comes to art NFTs. An NFT of an artwork might change at tops, I would say, 50 owners, and that may be exaggerating within its life cycle. With gaming, you have gamers actively want to get NFTs because they can benefit from it from a real application. Um, they might want to get that new weapon because they want to enter an arena and actually uh, win it, or they want to get this NFT because it unlocks a specific area in a game. So you have a lot of back and forth, and we've seen that firsthand. We know that the transactional volume is much higher. Um, so this is the, the initial model that we want to roll out. Um, we are thinking down the line of introducing a model which um, based on the API usage, but also based on the size of the team um, and introduce different pricing models based on these two parameters. Uh, because obviously you do not want to charge, you do not have, you do not want to have the, the standard pricing model models, which is like indie medium enterprise because 
you want to allow indie games to actually try this out and not have this huge overhead of, oh my God, this is going to cost me like hundreds of dollars per month to sustain because I want to have a lot of features, but that translates in a lot of transactions. So that translates in a lot of calls. So it's going to be very costly for me and, uh, at the end of the day. So we want to create these business models um, and these pricing models that actually make sense for people, no matter the size of the team and no matter what they want to bring in, you know? Well, yeah. And I think it's good to have that flexibility with your, uh, your revenue models, because obviously everybody has, you know, the marketplace fees and, um, you know, any of the NFT, uh, royalty fees are going to be a good thing to keep you all going for the beginning. But I, I agree what you're saying is you want to still keep it accessible and fair, depending on the size of the development team and what's ongoing. Um, <laughs> I know from uh, what we had discussed, you a main goal of Orb was to onboard 50 games by the end of 2024. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, what kind of criteria are you all utilizing to select your games? And uh, what kind of support are you offering these developers during the onboarding process, maybe outside of everything else we've already discussed? Absolutely. So in terms of criteria, um, because of the beginning stages when orb is going to go public we are going to be um, the ones selecting let's say the early adopters that are for the platform uh, like the first 10 projects that come into the platform the criteria that we're using is finding quality games that offer a very nice gaming experience in web3 and i think that's what is really missing from the web3 space right now like finding games that actually are fun to play, but they also have Web3 features in it. Um, we, It's not that we're not going to look at, you know, Web3 games that utilize NFTs in, in simple ways, but we truly want Orb to have an ecosystem of games that are just games, first and foremost. Um, so these are mainly the criteria that we're going to be using. And then in terms of support for the onboarding process, apart from all the tools that I mentioned so far, um, we plan on creating dedicated support teams uh, based on the size of each project onboarding. So we're going to have like a support uh, team for indie games, support team for medium sized and then enterprise and having an account, let's say manager. Uh, which is going to be helping them. If they need some support from devs, we're going to be hooking up with the right dev to help them, you know, uh, deal with an issue, deal with bugs and stuff like that. Because we know how important it is to have that, let's say, 24-7 support, especially when you, you go into Web3 and this is maybe your main revenue source or, or a large percentage of your revenue uh, source and something goes wrong and the game goes off. And it's basically because of an API not working. You need someone right then and there to fix it or else you're just losing money by the minute. Um, so yeah, we we have a, a very dedicated and organized plan on how to create these onboarding support teams. Um, and we also want to create a lot of content around uh, the teams that onboard Orb. So bring visibility not only to them as a project, but also to Orb and and creating interviews with them like how was your experience what were the issues that you were facing uh did orb add any value to you like how easy was it uh because 
these real experiences and these real use cases are what people that want to try Web3 out are going to be reading and are going to be saying, yeah, I, I actually like this. I might give this a try. Um, and it also helps, you know, it goes hand in hand. We provide visibility to projects that are on board and they provide a very nice use case for us on why our works. Well, yeah, and I like what you said earlier that I feel like we're in this really great period right now where people are truly making great fun to play games and then it's just like all this added benefit of having all these Web3 aspects because it felt like for a while there, it was kind of like when the App Store first launched, like on like, you know, on the iPhone, you were like, there is for nine out of every 10 titles is shovelware, but one out of every 10 games, like this is actually a fun game to play on yeah. my uh, on my iPhone or um, on my Android. And I felt like it was like that a lot in Web3 games for a while, or it was just play to earn. Like that was like a huge one yeah. for a while. And that only kept people interested for so long once they were like, I'm playing way more than I'm earning. This isn't really a fun game. I was just trying to make money and decided against it. So I really like to see now, especially with all the AAA games like ramping up into this space. It's been really awesome to see that it's it's it almost feels no different, like I said, than people who are coming from the traditional gaming development sector. They already understand, you know, top to bottom development, distribution, all that. And they're now integrating all the Web3 elements. Um, so I've been really excited and really interested to see that. Um, I think it's been coming down to there's, as we get older, obviously, there's there's more games than time I have to play. And I, I would like to play them all as much as I could. But obviously, I have to be an adult and do a lot of other things. Um, <laughs> so it, it's been great in that sense to see that. And I also can agree with you about needing that 24-7 support, having literally... Um, whether whether as a consultant or helping them um, flesh out the game, been a part of teams where there's there's two developers for the whole team, and the way yeah. they find out something went wrong is someone in the Discord goes, "Hey, the game isn't working," and then they're scrambling yeah, yeah, to figure yeah. it out. Versus you have like 15 people who have an integrate. There are people who are always there helping, who are just checking the code and making sure they're like, "Up, oh, this is probably going to bug out if we don't fix this, so things don't go wrong." So I think having that support in place is extremely important, and I think. Um, I definitely would appreciate it as somebody, especially if I was ramping up and didn't know what was going wrong or wasn't sure where to look. So um, I think I think you've got a really good bolstered thing going on with Orb here. Um, I, I honestly am, you know, compared to other ones I've seen at, you know, it always helps being able to talk to people at the company. I think the heart and mission and core of Orb is very much um, gaming focused. And I, I think mm -hmm. that's a really good thing. And I think that's what a lot of people would want to hear. I really only have one more question for you, and it's more um, just a personal advice one. But before I get into it, I wanted to ask if there's anything we missed about Orb that you felt like you really want people to know, whether that's how you're operating your core mission, things you're planning to give developers, if there's anything we miss. Um, I think we, we covered pretty much everything. I, I think the final note that I would like to add is if any of what we said today was of interest to you um, and you're a game developer, either Web3 or Web2, or you're just interested in trying out a, a Web3 project or interested in Orb in general, um, just reach out. I know a lot of times people are intimidated by, you know, hearing about projects and they're like, okay, I, I would like to try it out, but maybe I'm too, too small of a team. Maybe I'm just starting out. Like, how do I do this? Trust me when I say reaching out is the best thing that you can do most of the times. So yeah, if you're interested in any of the topics that we that we covered or just want advice about something, um, reach out. 
I can wholeheartedly support that. I think we both have enough experience with reaching out to random people and seeing it actually yes. goes really well. <laughs> and yes, you actually exactly. get a lot more info than you ever thought. I, I mean, yeah, sometimes you get no response, but I think more often than not, I get you get a much more positive response than you expect. Um, exactly. So the only, the last question I really have for you is, you know, what guidance would you offer to any students aspiring to enter the Web3 industry, particularly those who are keen but uncertain about where to begin their journey in developing or managing a Web3 project? Um, I would say the biggest piece of advice I would give to them is um, have a very concrete and robust foundation. So find something that you're passionate about because Web3 in general is not just Web3 gaming. It's Web3 can be applied to many, many different things. So find something that you're truly passionate about. Is it art? Is it gaming? Is it computer science? Is it development? Is it uh, medicine? Like find something that you're truly passionate about and then try to find a way to add Web3 to it but in a way that makes sense, not just to jump on the bandwagon of hype and be like, yeah, I know about Web3. Don't do that. Find a way to make it valuable uh, and create something that um, at the end of the day makes people, let's say, happy and, and add something to their lives. And then I know because I, I was a student like a year ago that I graduated from a master's, a lot of people, when they saw that they worked in the Web3 ecosystem, were like, okay, I want to get into it, but I don't know what chain should I use. Like, what are all these blockchains? What is a blockchain? So I would say your best friend for the first couple of months is Google and understanding the basis of blockchain and Web3. Because there will be a point, and at, at this, like in 2023, when you're developing a project, you have at the end of the day to decide on which chain to build on. And you have to do a lot of research because, you know, at the end of the day, uh, chains have advantages and disadvantages. And it really depends on what you're trying to make. As I said, we chose what we chose because it makes sense for the, the project and the ecosystem that we're trying to develop right now. For you or for someone listening, um, Tezos, for example, might not work, or Ethereum might not work, or Polygon might not work. So take time to research everything and make a very conscious decision on where you want to build. And then, as I said, like, don't be afraid to reach out. I know when I was studying at Imperial, uh, there were so many professors that were researching Web3 and blockchain. There were so many teams and unions and everything looking into crypto and looking into Web3, do not be afraid to say, hey, I'm interested in that. Can you give me some advice? Do you have any resources that I can benefit from? Do you have any project that I could, you know, potentially look into and help you out or just play with for a little bit? Like, do not be afraid to reach out to people because you might think that someone might have it all figured out and might want and might know their um their space and might know everything about web3 no they don't <laughs> a lot of us people that are in web3 do not know everything because there's so many things to know that you could not possibly know it all we're very we know what we're dedicated into working in um so yeah reach out to people reach out to professors 
uh, reach out to unions and teams. Um, I know Imperial had a lot of different teams that worked into Web3 gaming or robotics or AI, like various unions that can help you out and start doing something. Start, um, just start. There's always a day one. And if you really like what you're doing, you're, you're going to have a very nice result at the end of the day. That was great. I would agree with all that 100%. And I would just add two th things to say that I agree with you about just starting because that's eventually how I got this podcast started. I was working on other projects and I was like, I would really love to do a Web3 Gaming podcast. And I kept putting it off, putting it off. And finally, I just put a date on my calendar. I was like, whether I'm ready or not, that's when we're starting this. And it forced me to really get everything in place and then to keep it running. And then I have my deadlines where I'm like, well, you don't do anything by this date. There's not going to be any content to release. And so I, but again, it, did I have it all figured out by then? No, I'd never run a podcast. I'd never done it before. I just, I had loved podcasts. I'd listened to them for so long that I was like, well, I know I need this, this, and this. So I'll at least get that in place. And are there things that I still need to do with this podcast? hundred percent. I'm still working on it, still building it. But the, the main thing that I will lead into is what, one of the main things I love about Web3 and Web3 gaming is I feel like everyone I meet is it's it's the school of learning like everybody always wants to keep learning nobody's ever done learning um and i've rarely met anybody who isn't willing to mentor or teach so it, it really oh, is yeah. like you said like i feel like i could always reach out to anybody and there's no shame in being like i don't understand any of this i'm trying to find people who do understand and teach me or tell me about it and people are always happy to share their info happy to talk and i really like Absolutely. that um as someone who's formally educated in the sciences so like that's just a big thing for me so i i will say that has one of been one of my favorite things in web3 is just everybody is uh super willing to educate talk um help each other out um it's been a very very pleasant place to be so i i like you. everything you said arena and it's been a pleasure talking with you is there anything else you want to say in closing uh, no, I think, yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you as well and talking about Orb and Web3 Gaming in general. Um, yeah, it's been a very fun time. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah, glad to have you. I will have everything related to Orb and Arenya in the show notes and anything we talked about specifically to link to Orb, we will have down there. So once again, best of luck for everything with Orb. Thank you again for being here. And take care. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, friends, that's another episode down. If you enjoyed this podcast, we would really appreciate you rating it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you can rate and wherever you listen to and get your podcast. It would mean the world to us and help get this podcast to people who truly are involved in Web3 gaming, blockchain, and cryptocurrency and want to learn more and stay on top of these emerging technologies. If you have any queries, want to reach out about any collaborations or advertisements, as well as want to reach out with any improvements you think we could make on the podcast, please email us at theweb3gamer at proton.me. We would love to hear from you and take every response very seriously. Take care and keep gaming, my friends.